I want to read to you from Acts 9, one of the three accounts of the conversion of Saul. You're very familiar with it, but you can't be too familiar. And one of the great perils today is in familiarizing ourselves the wrong way with the familiar. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. When Jesus came to earth, he faced paganism on one side and Phariseeism on the other. And the worst opposition our Lord ever had was from organized religion, from people who went to church and read the scriptures and were all tithers and prayed in public and lived separated lives and tried to win others to their faith. And yet Jesus said to them, Ye serpents and generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Uh, Phariseeism had its good points, but it missed the main point. You can dot all your I's and cross all your T's and still misspell the word. And they misspell the word. Saul of Tarsus, and as we know him now, Paul the Apostle, was always a fanatic, a religious fanatic in somebody's eyes all his life. First of all, a fanatic for the faith of his fathers. And he was breathing, literally exhaling hatred for the church of the living God. And after that, of course, he called himself a fool for Christ's sake. And yet, out of Phariseeism came the greatest gospel preacher of all time. He started to Damascus with credentials from the high priest and determined to put the church out of business. And on that road he met Jesus Christ and spent the rest of his life putting churches in business. You never had to take any measurements to determine which side of the fence Paul was on. His yea was yea and his nay was nay. When Adlai Stevenson was appointed to the United Nations as our delegate, he said he had to learn a new word up there. Yo. Why, oh, and they asked him what it meant. He said, well, it can mean yes and it can mean no. Either one. Paul was not a yo man. He was not a diplomat arranging a truce. He was a prophet sounding an ultimatum. The only stocks and bonds he ever had were stocks for his feet and bonds for his wrists. But for him, stone walls did not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage, because he called himself the prisoner of Jesus Christ. His bodily presence is weak. He wasn't much to look at. I get a lot of encouragement out of that myself. <laughs> God makes a handsome man once in a while just to relieve the monotony. <laughs> it's dangerous to be a good-looking preacher because your uh, profile might raise uh, expectations that your preaching won't justify. <laughs> when Paul met the Savior, he asked him who and what. The Christian experience in faith 
and the sum total of it is wrapped up in the who, what experience. The whole issue revolves around this. Who is Jesus Christ? And what does He want me to do? Every truth in the coinage of God's revelation has two sides. And a lot of trouble comes to people who only get one side of the coin. You have divine sovereignty. You have human responsibility. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the Son of Man. You have faith and works. Come unto me and I'll give you rest. Learn of me and you'll find rest. Come out of the world and be separate. Go into the world and spread the gospel. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And these are not contradictory one to the other. They're complementary. Who is Jesus Christ? He asked that question once of the disciples. And you remember what they said. Well, some say you're John the Baptist, Elias, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he asked, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up, and bless his heart, I'm glad he's in the New Testament. Nearly everything he said in the Gospels was a mistake. But this time he hid it. And it Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, you didn't get this by reason. You got it by revelation on this rock of Abilma church. All the way through the New Testament, that's the keynote. At the temptation, the devil said, If thou be the Son of God. And in John 9:33, to the blind man, uh, he was asked, Do thou believe in the Son of God? Uh, the demoniac, what have I to do with thee, thou Jesus, son of the Most High God? The Ethiopian eunuch, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John 19, 7, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. And if he's not what he said he was, he's the biggest liar and lunatic ever to walk across the threshold of time. He never gave us the option of taking him as a great human teacher, as C.S. Lewis has pointed out so well. And Chuck Colson said there is less heresy in rejecting him altogether than to remake him into something he wasn't or isn't. Our third president, Thomas Jefferson, was a brilliant man, practically a genius. But he said the sum of all religion is expressed in its best teacher and contains no mystery. <laughs> Did he never read, Great is the Mystery of Godliness? And he said Jesus never believed that he had any other than human excellence. Well, he, he was a deist, but deism won't take you to heaven. Thou say, you say you believe in God, the devils believe and tremble. Trouble with these poor fellows today, they don't even tremble. Science doesn't have the answer to the problem today. Now, somebody said at the last World's Fair, the theme of it was the achievements of science and their application through industry to the creation of a larger life for all mankind. He said, I could see the achievements of science and I could see their application through industry, but I looked in vain for the larger life for all mankind. Improving the environment won't do it either. When you're up to your ears in crocodiles, it's no time to discuss how to drain the swamp. The real problem today is the depravity of the human heart. That's, that's uh, sin. I heard of a faithful old preacher who gave a wonderful message on that subject. Now, after this over, somebody came up and said, I just can't swallow this depravity of the human heart you've been preaching about. The old preacher said, you don't have to swallow it. It's already in you. 
The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. You might as well try to play music for a deaf man, describe a sunset for a blind man, discuss nuclear physics with a wooden Indian in front of a cigar store. As to talk about the things of God to a man never has been born again. We're trying today to mop up the floor and leave the faucet running. We're trying to uh, sweep out the cobwebs and leave the spider. Jesus came to do something about the main problem. And that's why he died for our sins and rose for our justification. That's why he was son of God and son of man both. We are in great danger today of whittling Jesus Christ down to our size creating an image to suit us and carving a Christian life that we like as much of it as we'll do, but you don't live that kind of a Christian life to the glory of God. You don't have that option. Jesus Christ is not standing like a marked down bargain at an auction sale to be accepted on your terms at your price. I agree with A.W. Tozer when he says you can't find accept Christ in the New Testament anyway. The term, you can find plenty of other terms, come, believe, receive, trust, all the rest, but accept always gives me too much the impression. I'll take him as though you were doing him a favor. The big question is, will he accept us? Well, thank God he will. Him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out, but on his terms and not on ours. When the early church was in plenty of trouble, Gamaliel made a speech, you remember, and I thought uh, at one time that it was a good speech, and then I discovered that he was just on the fence, and he was, first of all, he made a false comparison, said, we've had fellows like this before, we've had Judas, and we've had Judas, and it'll all blow over, but my friend, Jesus Christ is not Judas, and he's not Judas. No mortal can with him compare among the sons of men. Fairer is he than all the fair that fill the heavenly train. Then he suggested a false criterion. Let's see how it turns out. You don't wait to see how Jesus Christ turns out. He's already turned out. And then he arrived at a false conclusion. Leave him alone. But you can't leave Jesus Christ alone. He won't leave you alone. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. It's fashionable these days to call God in for special occasions, political campaigns, ball games, business advantages. Helps be a church member. Looks good on your obituary when you're dead. <laughs> but Jesus Christ is not on call to lend a religious aura and to put a halo around human endeavor. We have a new word that's come in in the last few years, additive. Everything has an additive now. Jesus Christ is not an additive. You don't add him to what you already have. That was the mistake that Nicodemus made. He said, I'm a teacher in Israel. Now, if I can get what he has and add it to what I have, I'll have it made. Jesus said, I'm not a new page in your old book. We're going to start a new book. You must be born again. And the rich young ruler had man manners and morals and money. And that's a pretty good combination as far as it goes. But he said, now, if I can get eternal life and add that to this, I'll have it made. Jesus said, you sell out what you have, and we start over. I used to preach a good deal from the last six verses in the ninth chapter of Luke, the peril of the uncounted coast, the peril of the unburied corpse, and the peril of the unforsaken circle. 
You remember that the second man in that trio wanted to go home and bury his father, and Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach. Now, this man was called to be a preacher, and sometimes I preach to preachers on that subject. Uh, the third man wanted to bid the family goodbye, and Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is no place for a man with his face pointed one way and his feet the other. God's not taking people to heaven backwards. I sometimes uh, try to get the point across that Jesus Christ never comes next. Will you remember that? Where have you got him on the totem pole of your interests and concerns this morning? He's not playing second fiddle to anybody or anything. He's Alpha and Omega. Now, there's a place for the additives. There are additives. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Food, clothing, that's what they were talking about in that case. All the necessities of life. But Jesus comes first, and everything else is wrapped up in him. He's an absolute. There are two absolutes in this world, the written word of God and the living word of God. I believe in the absolute authority of the scripture. That sounds too dogmatic for some people today because they're living in a fog. They've moved from dogma to smogma. <laughs> Black and white is being smudged into indefinite gray today. When I go to church, I want to hear a dogmatic preacher. I don't want to hear a specialist in the art of almost saying something. <laughs> you can't preach it like it is if you don't believe it like it was. When I go to church, I don't want to come away feeling like I'd been invited out to dinner where they didn't serve anything but cool whip. <laughs> I want a dogmatic doctor. I don't want him to say, well, not could be this, could be that. We'll give you these pills, and they don't kill you. We'll try something else. I want a dogmatic doctor. When I get on the plane and start to the next place, I don't want that to be the day the pilot calls back to us and says, we're going to try something new today. <laughs> oh, no. I'll take what we've already got. Oh, the churches that God is blessing and the people that God's blessing are people who believe something, believe him, and believe him for what he claimed to be. I've just come from the First Baptist Church of Dallas Sunday night. Dr. Criswell's uh, new Bible school was having its commencement. And, oh, we had a wonderful time. And they believe the Bible there, and they believe it entirely, and uh, they annoy some of these folks with some strange ideas about how much of it you can believe or how you, you believe. When I started out preaching like I'm preaching now, the devil told me, well, you will starve to death doing that. And from the way I look, you may think the devil is right. <laughs> but I'm doing all right, thank you. And I started out at 12 years of age to preach the gospel. And they said, well, boy, preachers, they won't last. I think 67 years of preaching is long enough to give it a try. <laughs> Anyhow, human hearts need the voice of authority. Speak with authority. If I believe that the creation was a myth and the resurrection was a myth and the return of Christ was a myth, I'd be mystified. <laughs> I'd be mistaken. And I'd be miserable. <laughs> I believe in the absolute authority of the Word of God and of the Son of God. 
But, my dear friends, the who must be followed by the what. Paul didn't lose any time. Right after the who, which, and Jesus comes last in the first question and first in the second question because after you've really met him, he ought to come first and then on. What? We must accept not only what he claims to be himself, but also what he requires me to do. That's the corollary. That's the other side of the coin. You cannot settle for a modified, abridged, watered-down Christian life that leaves out what you don't want to do, let you be your kind of a Christian. Sometimes I hear people say they wouldn't put it quite like this, but it amounts to this. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to go an all out in this religion business. I don't mind joining the church and going once in a while and so on, but I'm not going all out. And I feel like saying if you're not going all out, you might as well stay out because Jesus Christ marked the terms and they were severe and they were strict. And I'm not marking down the price of discipline to get a lot of half-hearted, part-time, fair-weather Christians. No dictator ever demanded what Jesus Christ demands, whether it be Caesar or whether it be Napoleon or whether it be Hitler, but he has a right to. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life. My old. He doesn't want your compliments. He wants your commitment. We're suffering today from a cheap Americanism in this country and a cheap Christianity in the professing church. Salvation's free, but my friend, it's not cheap. Too many church members trying to get to heaven on a half a case religion. Uh, I like to read old Samuel Rutherford. He was a mystic of several centuries ago. And for a while I kept his letters to his friends the little book, By My Bed. It was written so long ago that the idiom has to be almost retranslated, so there are all kinds of words at the bottom of the page to tell you what that word meant that he said. But I can understand this. How many of us would have Christ divided into two halves that we might take half of him only? We take his office, Jesus, and salvation, but Lord is a cumbersome word. To work out our own salvation and perfect holiness is the cumbersome, stormy, north side of Jesus Christ. I never heard it called that before. Think it over. If you just isolate the discipleship, it seems pretty severe. And it is on the natural man. If a man takes Jesus for all he knows him to be at that time, God will save him. He doesn't have to be a theologian to get saved. But no man can take Jesus as Savior and knowingly and willfully and deliberately refuse him and be a Christian. You don't get to heaven on half of an acceptance of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't say to the Philippian jailer, now you come along and make a profession of faith and we'll take you in the church and put your name on the row and give you a box of envelopes and you will be all right. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Master, Mediator, Messiah, and thou shalt be saved. It's about time we took seriously the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This staggered me some years ago, and I keep reciting it to myself. Some truths are regarded as so true that they lose the power of truth and lie bedridden in the dormitory of the soul. And the danger with those of us who are in Christian work is that uh, we familiarize ourselves with these precious truths, and after all, uh, you can do that pretty fast, 
and uh, they become inoperative and inactive and they do lie bedridden in the dormitory of the soul. Somebody has said the word Lord is one of the most lifeless words in the vocabulary of the average Christian. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, you can come to Jesus and still not be saved. Rich young ruler came to him, but it, he didn't follow up. If any man come to me and hate not father, mother, and so on, he cannot be my disciple. Let's get all the deal in there. And that cross is the cross of discipleship. We put cushions in its place. The song leader was telling me the other day about a church where the youngsters were to put on a little program one night, and they were all supposed to come marching in singing, Onward Christian Soldiers, and then they were to come up in the pulpit and give their little program. And they took a notion, as kids will, that every one of them wanted a little cross. And uh, they got hold of one, one way and another, but the music director said, Oh, no, let's not do that now. It's too late. He took the little crosses and hid them in the Sunday school room. Kids didn't like that. And so when they came marching in, they were saying, An onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus hid behind the door. <laughs> I don't blame them. You can't hide it that way. And we have tried to do it, it seems to me. The average church member is not giving the devil enough trouble to even get his attention. You take a stand for Jesus Christ and you automatically make yourself the target of the devil. No wonder some of these church members say, well, I don't understand about all this spiritual conflict in Ephesians 6 that I hear you talking about. We've got plenty of flag wavers and bugle blowers who've never been in battle. They're out for medals, but they don't want any scars. And uh, that goes with it. I say to you, try to have the mind of a scholar and the heart of a child and the hide of a rhinoceros. You'll need all three. But while you're toughening your hide, don't harden your heart. I've seen that happen. And that's a disaster. We're living in a strange and mysterious hour. The church is one foundation of Jesus Christ the Lord. That's the basis of unity. Not unanimity. Not unification. Just unity. I see some sad cases. I'm in a different church nearly every week of my life, and I try to study them. What makes this one go and this one not go? Oh, the pitiful things. Almost ludicrous. I heard of a church that had a sign out in front the other day. Harmony Church number two. You wonder what happened to number one. The Lordship of Christ is the initial confession of the Christian, Romans 10, 9, 10. It's the authentic confession of the Christian, 1 Corinthians 12 and 3. No man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. And it's the ultimate confession of all creation. Some people say, well, what are we coming to? What are we coming to? What is the world coming to? I know what it's coming to. Coming to the day when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But confessing him as Lord then won't save the soul. It's one thing to say he's Lord, another thing to say he's my Lord. In all my invitations these days, I call for people to stand one at a time and say just one thing. Now they can say it and not mean it, I know that. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. But they can say it and mean it. Any problem you have, whether it be salvation, assurance, dedication, life, work, or whatever, can be solved by 
this one thing. Do you believe Jesus Christ is God? Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? Do you trust him as your Savior? Are you willing to publicly, publicly, before men, before men, it says, with the mouth as your Lord, what will happen? Thou shalt be saved. It doesn't say your feet are saved. It says thou shalt be saved. That settles it. Any problem you have, if it's lack of assurance, that'll take care of it. Dedication, that'll take care of it. I guarantee you won't be a worldly Christian if you mean it when you get through to the who, what question. So that takes care of it. Campbell Morgan said, I don't believe men are ever brought to a sense of their need of his saviorhood except as they stand in the presence of his lordship. And listen to what Spurgeon said to his students. If the convert says that he knows the Lord's will but doesn't mean to attend to it, you're not to pamper his presumption. It's your duty to assure him he's not saved. And do not imagine that the gospel is magnified or God glorified by telling worldlings that they may be saved at this moment simply by accepting Christ as their Savior while they are wedded to their idols and their hearts are still in love with sin. If I do so, I pervert the gospel, I tell them a lie, I insult Christ, and turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. And in this day, when the world has delirium tremens, and men's hearts fail them for fear, we see not yet all things put under him, but we see Jesus. A preacher friend of mine says, every time I hear Walter Cronkite saying, that's the way it is, I feel like saying, no, Walter, that's not the way it is. That's just the way it looks. That's right. The outlook's never been any worse. The downlook is worse than ever as a downlook. I used to say civilization is going to the dogs. I've quit that out of respect for dogs. <laughs> I wouldn't want to insult the canine kingdom by making a remark like that. Plenty of people doing things today beneath the dignity of any dog. I'm glad they had old Elisha in that great day in the Old Testament. My, what a man. He could uh, make the water in the neighborhood fit to drink, find lost axe heads, make poisonous food edible. He could put a widow in the oil business of the prophet. He could heal the lepers, raise the dead. And he was a one-man CIA, Central Intelligence Agency. Every time the king of Syria tried to make a move, old Elisha had a hotline to heaven and had been there first. And the king said, we got to get that preacher. So they sent the militia after him. Maybe we need preachers they send the militia after today for the right reasons, of course. But uh, uh, we need you. And uh, when that servant came out next morning, there were soldiers to the right of him and soldiers to the left of him. Here a soldier, there a soldier, everywhere a soldier. When Elisha came out, he said, they've got us. Old Elisha said, there be more than be with us than they that be with them. That old servant must have felt like saying, well, I don't see any of them. Where are they? Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes. And he looked up and he saw angels to the right of him and angels to the left of him. Here an angel, there an angel, everywhere an angel. Because the angel of the Lord was encamping round about them that feared him to deliver them. And uh, 
I believe in the angels. I'm glad Billy Graham wrote a book on angels. I've been reading so many on demons, I was getting to where I wanted to look under the beds at night. <laughs> I'm glad we got a book on angels. And if you're looking down, may the Lord have mercy on you. Don't watch the news too long or read the papers too long. Get your sights up. Get your glasses fixed. You need to get in shape and get the outlook in tune with the uplook. You can't be optimistic with a misty optic. I find myself sometimes in my walks, and I walk an awful lot. I'm a bird watcher for a hobby, and so is John Stott of England. He said he preached the other day, the Bible says, consider the fowls of the air. He said, that means watch birds. <laughs> well, I've just been down there. You've got such a lovely place around here. And oh, I heard so many. I'm behind this year. I've been the wrong places, the wrong time for these birds. But I made a list down this road if you have ears to hear. They're there. I found myself, though, many a time these last days and weeks and months, saying, careless seems the great avenger. Seems like God has forgotten us sometimes. You remember the parable about the avenger in the New Testament. You feel like saying, Lord, why don't you come down and straighten out this mess? You can do it. History's pages but record one death grapple in the darkness. Twixt old systems and the word, truth forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. That's the way it looks. But that's not the way it is. For that scaffold sways the future, and behind the dim unknown standeth God within the shadow, keeping what? Above his own. I heard the other day of a fine old black man, a wonderful Christian, who is still shining shoes in the lower part of a great business building. All the businessmen knew him. They respected him. He loved the Lord. One day one of them came by and said, Well, I see you're reading the book of Revelation. Yes. Said, Do you know what it means? He said, Yes. Sir. Said, Now, wait a minute. Said, These Bible scholars have studied it all these years, and they don't all understand, and they don't all agree. What do you think it means? He said, it means Jesus is going to win. Now, you could get a hundred, you could get a thousand theologians together, and they wouldn't come up with a better one than that. That's what it's all about. It didn't look like it when he hung on a cross between thieves and cried, my God, my God, why? When they laid that bruised and battered body in that sepulcher, it didn't look like it. The roll of stone put on the seal and appointed a guard and Pilate and Herod and Caiaphas must have rubbed their hands and said, well, I guess that takes care of him, but it didn't. And an angel came down and rolled a stone away and broke the seal, and I'm glad the Holy Spirit says he sat on that stone. <laughs> Got up there as, as if to say, now look who's in charge around here. Situation has changed, and I'm glad that he's the winner. fact of the business is he's not only going to win, he's already won. Calvary in the open grave. I began with Paul. I closed with Paul. In the day he met Jesus Christ on that Damascus road, he had seen the face of Jesus. Tell him not of oak beside. 
He'd heard the voice of Jesus, and his soul was satisfied. He was faithful to the faith, faithful to the fight, and faithful to the finish. He was an unknown Jew in the days of Nero, but today you call your dogs Nero and your boys Paul. I want to be on the winning side in this thing, but the name the boys after. As you go out to preach and to witness in a world that's in the worst mess it's ever been in since Adam and Eve ate us out of house and home in the Garden of Eden, as you go, remember you're not out to make it acceptable. You're out to make it available. You're not out to make them like it. You're out to see that they get it. Uh, they'll criticize you. Old Billy Sunday used to say, they tell me I rub the fur the wrong way. I don't. Let the cat turn around. <laughs> when the cat's going the right way, why, you stroke the cat. It's when the cat's going the wrong way that the sparks fly. And remember that you're not out to make the gospel popular with uh, big business and the press and modern education. And if the preaching of the cross is to the world foolishness, it automatically follows with unmistakable logic that makes the preachers of it to the world fools. You can't go out living and preaching something that's foolishness to that crowd and escape the other side of that coin. The issue is Jesus Christ. I wish everybody knew John 3.19 like to know John 3.16. This is the crisis. That's the word in the original, just spelled with a K. The real crisis today is not what a lot of people think it is. This is the crisis. This is the test by which men are judged. This is the judgment that light has come into this world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. It's impossible to do nothing about Jesus Christ. You have to have an original experience of Jesus Christ. God doesn't have any grandchildren. The experience has to be yours. I heard of a woman who said to her husband when he came in from the day's work, something strange happened this morning. Somebody knocked at the door, and when I opened it, a stranger was standing there, and he asked me ever so abruptly, do you know Jesus Christ? She said, I didn't know what to say to him. Close the door, finally. The husband said, why didn't you tell him you were a teacher of the ladies' Bible class, president of the Women's Missionary Society? She said, that's not what he asked. And I go up and down this land today asking a lot of church members, here's what I'm asking. Do you believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Do you believe he came out of that grave? Have you opened the door of your heart to him? And have you with the mouth, out loud, before people, confessed him as your Lord? I find a lot of them have never done it. I think we ought to do it the way the Bible says to do it. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust him as Savior, who art thou, Lord? And obey him as Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And as you go out from this blessed place that I think so much of and that God has blessed so marvelously, 
Go out in that name that's above every name and make sure you're fixed on the who and the what. Been a long time since I stood up in a little old country church scared half to death as a boy of 12 and asked those farmer folks to license me to preach the gospel. It wasn't the usual thing and were to lay hands suddenly on no man, but they rather laid them suddenly on <laughs> told me to go ahead and preach. And I want to say to the glory of God this morning, it's not a picnic. I'm not asking folks to a picnic. I'm asking them to a pilgrimage. I'm not inviting you to a frolic. I'm inviting you to a fight. I'm not inviting you to an excursion. I'm inviting you to an execution, death to self, to rise in newness of life. But it's worth it all, and you have a joy this world can't give. And don't ever get the impression that because the Lord wants me to do this or that, it's like uh, what the little boy said, this medicine must be good for me, it tastes the bad. Don't get that idea in your head. Uh, the Bible says, Delight thyself in the Lord, and he'll give thee the desires of thine heart. I'm having, I'm a lonely man these days. Since six and a half years ago, God took to heaven the sweet little lady who walked with me, traveled with me, 33 years over this land. But I haven't lost her because I know where she is. She just got ahead of me, and I'll overtake her. You can't lose. And so I'm happy in my soul, and you can have that in your soul. Don't go around. You don't have to let them know you're a Christian. Buy a great big button that says, I'm a Christian, carrying a Bible as big as us here in the Roebuck catalog. <laughs> don't have to do that. Just be one. It'll, they'll catch on. The word will get around. You can't escape the consequences of taking a stand for Jesus. But God bless you. Good to be with you.